Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I'm Adam Motenko. With me, as always, my good friend, Mike Minkoff. How's it going, Adam? I've been uh, icing my knees. I've been doing some research on, you know, blood, blood platelet cycling treatments in Germany. Just in case, just in case uh, someone in that I care about more recently uh, needs some knee procedures. Well, Celtics have some roster spots to fill, Mike. Is, are you going after one? I don't think there's open yeah, tryouts. You don't you don't think they're looking for um an out of shape never was uh that's five foot nine. Uh I'm gritty. You nope, know, not I'm Brad Stevens. I'm the market I'm the Marcus Smart of this podcast. So what more could you want? Heart and soul, baby. From what I saw at the Cambridge Athletic Club, and, and this was years ago, I don't I don't think so. Sorry, hate to break it to you. All right. Uh, Josh let's is not, out today. Let's not talk about how other people look at Cambridge <laughs> Athletic Club, Adam. <laughs> I'm not the one talking about trying to trying to play. Josh is out today. We're gonna talk the Brogdon trade, Gallinari, finishing the roster. What else might the Celtics be looking to do? We'll hit the summer league. I don't know. We'll get into some other stuff, maybe. Mike, let's start with Brogdon. Obviously, a phenomenal trade. It's been talked about. I think everybody knows what <laughs> who was in the trade. Uh, but what is your perspective on on this deal? When it happened, I knew I know you so, were excited. You've been no, wanting Brogdon so I've got, for I've got years. a zag. I'm actually strongly against what? the trade. No kidding. Yeah. No, no, no. Huge, huge. I mean, it was a no brainer deal. Um, I feel like every to- podcast has probably already talked about this already. And I don't know that any of my takes are all of that novel, but he's a perfect fit for what we need to do. Uh, If he's willing to accept it, and it seems like he is as far as a lesser role, a bench role, uh, playing fewer minutes uh, per game that can conserve him because he does have injury risk. That's what I was alluding to. Uh, You know, there's been... So reporting out there historically, he's got like some of the worst knees uh, and was almost red flagged in, in the draft, which is why he slid to the second round. Uh, Steve well, actually, Bullpet commented at on the that time, in an article on Heavy Today. Go ahead. Yeah, at the time, Kevin O'Connor talked about um, that he actually was. It, I don't know if he was officially red fl- flagged, but it drew medical red flag flags for some teams. Uh, and it was the fact that he had a, a surgery to fuse a bone in his left foot. I don't. I, what do you know about the uh, the knee injuries? Oh, maybe I'm maybe I I'm misremembering. I just know he's got major injury issues. Um, yeah, he, he, he hasn't played in, in thirty six games season. last year. Yeah, and then in the and he in averages the, about fifty fifty five. Right in the COVID shortened seasons, he played about fifty games. But um, all of which is to say that playing more like a twenty twenty five minute. Uh, a night type of role is is well suited for him and our team is kind of structured in such a way we already have Marcus Smart as our starting point guard we have Derek White off the bench in a similarly kind of versatile can be on ball can be off ball type of role uh, so should Brogdon have to miss some time in the regular season we can certainly withstand it but he's exactly the type of guy that can raise your ceiling by you know those two games in you know you can play him in the highest leverage moments because he's an exceptional decision maker. Um, you know, he was a, a, 40, a 50, 40, 90 guy back when he was with the Bucks in a lower usage role. Um, he can kind of return to, to playing that role in, a, in an even higher ceiling team. So uh, e- extremely excited about him and, you know, uh, giving up a pick that I think we have good reason to believe will be 25 or later. It's also even top 12 protected. Um, 
giving up Daniel Tice, who I, I liked, uh, and probably I liked more than the average Celtics fan, uh, but still a no-brainer to give him up in this. And then Aaron Neesmith, I think, still has some promise, um, but wasn't someone that showed signs that we actually absolutely had to hold on to him by any stretch. Uh, so so worth worth move, moving on from him to get a very proven commodity in Brogdon. And congratulations to Nick Stauskas, Juwan Morgan, and uh, Malik Fitz for having their contracts guaranteed next year. Oh, I that thought not... I thought you were going to congratulate me because with Aaron Neesmith traded, I've now officially won that bet with Josh. Do you, remind us, me and our listeners, what the bet was, and and I'm surprised you're gloating without Josh on the pod, podcast. I, I would have assumed you'd wait for him, but maybe you'll you'll do it on consecutive ones. I thought sure I thought you knew you. me. I thought you knew me better than that, Adam. Of course, I wouldn't wait for Josh to be here to gloat. Um, I don't even remember exactly what the oh Aaron Aaron Neesmith will have a season on his rookie contract, so within his first four years, where he averages 15 minutes per game. 38% from three, minimum 40 games, and it had to be with the Celtics. Uh, Josh said it would happen. I said it would not. He was actually pretty close last year, uh, but didn't quite get there. Um, and now he's no longer with the Celtics. So there you have it. <laughs> I love this trade, Mike. It, we now have three guards who are big and can defend players from point guard up to small forward, or in Marcus Smart's case, potentially center, uh, depending on who that person Stretch is. Stretch six. Stretch six. <laughs> um, they, they, so you can stay switchable on defense, which is this team's identity. Uh, we, we talked about, I talked about this last time with Josh before a trade like this was made. Coming into the offseason, I said fans should expect to see Stevens do what take actions that that apply what he said in his press conference which was that he wanted to improve the team's playmaking and um offensive creation off the bench without losing their identity and what i read into that was that their identity is this switchable phenomenal defense so they maintained this with brogdon and they improved that playmaking and offense i mean brogdon this guy in indiana was their primary offense uh, he's the number one guy that they went to. He, he's 20 points, six assists, five boards coming off, uh, coming out of Indiana in the last two years. Yeah. Uh, and he, I he can score. I think we can reasonably expect him to put up like kind of like a 14, four and four line coming off the bench for this. Yeah. Team, with some reduced huge. minutes with, with reduced minutes, but really high efficiency. Um, I, if I remember right, I, I think his nickname when he was with Milwaukee was the president uh, he's also now the third uh, VP of the NBPA on the Celtics roster, joining it with with Jalen Brown and Grant Williams. Grant Williams. So we've got like the statesman on this roster. Very high character team. Uh, very maybe legislative team. I'm not sure that's good based on our uh, history of complaining to refs, but. Um, no, I mean, there's just a ton to like And Brogdon. I mean, I agree. He's switchable. He's six, five. He's, you know, he's a big guy. Uh, he's not like an elite defender or anything, but he's totally viable. You know, he's, he's solid on that side of the ball. He's not, he's not a complete liability. He's not a guy you can aggressively target. I hope Neesmith gets an opportunity in Indiana. And I'm also glad that we don't have to wait for that here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
are we let me can, say oh go ahead let me say one other thing and i think it'll tie into the next thing that you want to talk about here so uh this move by by brad stevens i love it um and in the nba there's so few players on the court that if you have really talented players a couple of really talented players you can win you can build around them and win and i think danny Ainge took an approach where he was like let's just get all the talent and i'll let my coach figure it out certainly that happened the year where they had Kyrie and and uh, Hayward and Horford, et cetera. Uh, Brad Stevens, since he took over as president, has taken a different approach. He has taken a systems approach. He's like, let me build a system. I want to align with my coach, know what they want to do. I want to get them players that fit into that system. That's what he's talking about, about not, not losing their identity. That's why he's going after guys like Brogdon. That's why, like this system on defense, it requires you to have these big guards who can guard up and still handle the ball and shoot the ball well enough and to have really switchable bigs. It's really, really hard to find guys like Al Horford and Rob Williams who can guard multiple positions, who can guard out out on the perimeter in the NBA. It's really, really difficult. But if you have that across your roster and good wings, which the Celtics have, and they're lucky to, because that's the hardest position to find in the NBA, you can play the kind of defense that they're playing and you can have that identity. This is like, he's constructing this team like a football team would. This is like Belichickian type moves where he's, he's got a system and people fit into it. This is rare for the NBA and I love seeing it. He's He is taking advantage of a different approach uh, that allows you to be able to win without having a, a top five or two top five players. And it, I love it. Yeah, I mean... You know, I there was some uh, an exchange on on the Celtics blog Slack earlier, and and you know the the Brogdon trade and the decision to kind of make that move, and then you know we signed Gallo. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, you know, they're they're relatively small. Like the the Brogdon move is big, uh, in that it 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 moves a needle for our team, but it's it's not it's not the acquisition of a super duper star by any stretch. Right. And at the same time, uh, we, we just saw good, good friend, old friend, Danny Ainge pull off an absolute heist, uh, on behalf of the Utah jazz. And I mean, he made their team a lot worse in the short term, but he, he got an absolute, you know, uh, bounty from Denver, or not from Denver, sorry, from Minnesota, Minnesota mooting Rudy, Rudy Gobert, right? So Alex Rodriguez um, and, and, and the new ownership group in Minnesota. Went with Danny Ainge, he was always big fish hunting. You know, he was always swinging for the fences. You know, whatever he was doing, he was always trying. He was always trying to hit the long ball. Uh, he was gonna. He was gonna swing big, and sometimes he struck out as a result. Brad Stevens, he's all about that. Uh, that OBP, that on base percentage. He's just hitting singles. He's just piecing together simple steps, simple steps, simple steps, and incrementally building. And to your point, Brad is doing this as part of kind of this holistic, cohesive system. You have an ethos as a team. You're defense first. You're moving the ball. You have shooting that stretches the opposing team, and you have versatility and switchability on the defensive end of the floor that puts the other team's offense into challenging spots and, and challenging decisions. And he made sure he has a coach that aligns with that. And he made make sure all of his personnel fit into that. Um, for me, like uh, I just watching from the outside, I feel like I would love to work in an organization 
with Brad Steven in the helm. And it would drive me absolutely insane to work in an organization with Danny Ainge at the helm. Because Danny is always trying to shake things up and go, you know, hit that home run. And you never feel like you're on sure footing. Like, I feel confident that if Danny Ainge were currently the GM of the Celtics, there would be a million articles out there. I mean, there's been like some soft speculation, but there would be like daily articles talking about how close the Celtics are getting in conversations with the Nets about Kevin Durant right now. Whether it's true or not, that would just be out there because by virtue of Danny Ainge and how he operates and the fact that he like very actively and aggressively would say everyone's tradable. Um, Stevens is the opposite, right? He's like, we have our team. We like our guys. We're complimenting around, you know, we're building around Jason and Jalen period. I just don't feel like Ainge would ever have that period. <laughs> and, and I think it gives a lot more stability and it lets the people in the rest of the organization better focus and do their job. So um, I just, I, I, you can't deny how effective Danny Ainge is at what he does, but I personally would like to take a moment to celebrate Brad and his approach and, and how much more I'd like to work in an organization uh, led by Brad than Danny. <laughs> what do you think, well, Adam? <laughs> Mike, I, I, I love that. I, I agree. Um, it seems like Danny's the kind of guy that like, doesn't like to share how he feels. He likes to see how other people feel and he likes to kind of see, uh, see how people are going to behave in response to things. He might be the kind of guy who will say something just to see what, how you react. And he's constantly sort of evaluating and not actually showing his cards even internally. Um, and I agree. He's, he's a home run hitter and sometimes that worked out really well. It certainly did just now for him. And it certainly did for the Celtics in the Brooklyn trade. And then that means that other times that other people get annoyed with him and people don't want to talk to him because he's as, always asking for the, the stars in the moon. Uh, and I'm, it's an interesting negotiation tactic. I, I'm not sure I love it because I don't think it supports, uh, even though it gets you value, I don't know that it necessarily supports building relationships and maintaining those Agreed. Uh, for a long time. Agreed. Agreed. Um, um, anyway, uh, I think you had one more thing, Adam, before we keep moving through the off season. Yeah, Mike, the, there's two more things. One, uh, just about a year ago, we sat here and we looked at Brad, uh, sorry, uh, Danny leaving and Brad moving up to president. And I said on this podcast, we now have, we took a step back in both coaching because Brad was so good and in, in the front office because Danny was great. I mean, we talked about Danny two years ago and we ranked him, I think, third in the NBA in front office executives. I think he's had a tough track record the last couple of years with the Celtics. But looking at it now, just a year later, I, I can't believe how impressed I and how confident I feel in Brad Stevens. He's well, doing a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And I'm just so impressed that he has been able to uh, be at, as effective as he's been in just a year. And, and Ime Odoka has proven to be a phenomenal head coach as well. Like I, I am just as, if not more comfortable and confident with Ime and Brad as I was with Brad and Danny. And I'm surprised to hear myself say that just a year later. Yeah. I mean, I think, and maybe this is just like um, the convenience of recent, how recent history has played out um, allowing me to kind of make this argument, you know, so it's more, it's more kind of, 
the evidence of convenience rather than evidence of like fact or something. But the reality, you know, I, I think that it was the right time for the types of changes that happened, right? Like you can't, it's, it's not saying that, or I, I wouldn't be comfortable. And I don't think you're saying that Brad Stevens is clearly a better GM than Danny Ainge. But I think at the, where the Celtics were based on their recent track record and the, the, you know, the close losses, the young nucleus that had had a chance to kind of grow together. It was the right time to transition from a home run hitter to a systems builder. Mm-hmm. Just organizationally that happened to be Brad Stevens who happened to be the former coach, but really just kind of in terms of ethos and style, it was better to get something more stable and less volatile at the head because we needed to make incremental improvements around an established nucleus. Yeah. Similarly I agree with that. at the coaching level, you know, Brad, I think, was the right per and, and Danny was the right guy when he came in because he was willing to shake things up in a way they needed to be, right? From that Antoine Paul Pierce core and horrific cap sheet to to reinventing the team, being willing to take big swings. I mean, you know, he got KG, which was like the moonshot and deserves all the credit for it. But I there's always a piece of me that remembers that he wanted to pair AI and Pierce and it just didn't work out for him before that. And I think that would have been a terrible pairing. So I like can't ever fully remove that from my memory, but that's a digression. Yeah. Anyway, um, at the coaching my last level, thing on the... wait, at the, just at the coaching yeah, level real quick, you know, Brad was, um, I think absolutely the right guy for kind of overseeing that, that rebuild, bringing in young talent, helping them kind of professionalize and, and start developing good habits and, and, uh, develop a foundation around winning, but Ime is a hundred percent the right guy to push them further. So, so oh, yeah. like it's, you know, I just, I, I think it's important to kind of note. I agree with you where I'm super confident in, in Brad and his position and Ime in his position, but I think, you know, though them being the right people in their positions right now is, you know, it's a, there's a broader kind of timing of where the organization is and how their approaches and personalities fit with that overarching kind of cycle and timing. I completely agree. And while we're talking about the Celtics as a system, I think you have to mention, I have to mention the ownership because I've called them out a couple of times questioning whether they are willing to spend and they clearly are willing to go into the luxury tax in a not insignificant way, unclear just how much they're willing to spend. I don't think they're going to be like the Warriors for sure. But I just want to comment that they are willing to pay. And and while that's expected for us as fans, we should also uh, rejoice in that fact. And and, uh, thank you, Wick and and company uh, for for doing so. Last thing on the Brogdon trade, you want to say something about that? Just on that, uh, this was the first offseason where if they hadn't spent, I thought it would have been inappropriate. Um, I would have been shocked if they didn't. I'm glad they did. That's all I was going to say. Okay, last comment on the Brogdon trade. Uh, because they now have Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, and Marcus Smart, uh, I love the interchangeability, as I mentioned earlier. Like th- You can run this group out. This is a deep team. I think you're just missing a couple small pieces, which we'll talk about. The other thing it does, Mike, and you probably are going to get mad at me for talking about this, it allows them to make a deal for Kevin Durant if they want to. 
and still have enough players left to compete for the championship and put around Durant. Like, you know, if they were, it's been rumored that they could offer Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart and some picks, which is what the kind of a thing, it's basically exactly what uh, Brooklyn is asking for. That's a really competitive offer for Brooklyn, given the landscape out there. And that leaves them with enough still remaining. Uh, so I, I mentioned that because I, it's just, this, this is not a finished, this may not be a finished product yet. Um, and so well, don't I be surprised if that happens. That, yeah. And I'm curious about whether you're interested in uh, making a deal like that. What's your, well, what so, your question? So the first question is, would Adam Motenko as fan of the Boston Celtics want that to happen? Absolutely not. Uh, because Adam Motenko as a fan is, uh, this is the first time I've talked about myself in third person. It's uncomfortable. I don't think I'm going to do it again. Uh, I do. I do not like the uh, the p- part of player empowerment that allows players to to become the general manager. You have Kyrie saying, like, basically, we're the general manager. We don't need Sean Marks. Uh, you've got guys deciding they want to go someplace, and then a year later, deciding they don't trade me now. Just the fact that Kevin Durant has four years left on his contract and he's decided he doesn't want to stay in the place that he re-signed willingly, the place he chose, that's where he wanted to go before he signed this extension. He did not put a demand a no trade clause in there. He did not get a player option on the last year. He said, no, give me the four year extension. I'm going to stay here. And immediately now he's demanding a trade. So the idea that any team, any team, even if it's one that he wants to go to, thinks he's going to stay for four years. Good luck. A contract means nothing these days. So the idea that a team has to pay up more because he's under contract for four years, I call BS on that. So as a fan, that that upsets me. That, uh, that, so I, I don't want him on my team. That that's the part fan Adam responded to. Um, yeah. not, not any sentimentality towards, towards homegrown players. Um, <laughs> well, there, that is secondary. If I trusted, you know, if the, if the rumors were, if, if KD had not done this sort of a thing before and the rumors were that he was really interested in coming to Boston, I would have some sentimentality, uh, to losing Jalen Brown. Marcus smart is, is almost like Jalen Brown is the kind of player you have to give up for a guy like kd marcus smart he's a lesser player but he mean in some ways he means more to this team and and that's the part especially when you talk about sentimentality that's the part that that really gets me so so my michael minkoff i agree talking about oneself in the third person is awkward i would as so at first i felt like i i don't know i was really torn i guess as to whether i'd actually entertain moving uh Jalen Brown I wouldn't I wouldn't move I wouldn't move two of Jalen Brown uh, well at the end of the day I wouldn't do the trade period uh, so I'll start there um I would I was entertaining it of like Jalen Brown plus I don't know a Derek White and picks or something like that but you know going back to what I was saying about Brad versus Danny I, I think they're both as, I mean as a fan I have sentimentality and want to see this group figure it out and succeed. Um, but as a general manager, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think you're wrong if you go either way, but I do think 
Danny's tendency to swing for the fences in the aggregate, in addition to maybe rubbing other GMs the wrong way, I think rubbed players the wrong way. And I think he tarnished the brand of the team as a place that's safe to go or to count on as a superstar. Um, And I think the only way, like the way to, as an organization, brand yourself otherwise is to frankly be willing to expose yourself to the chance that a player will spurn you, Um, which, which does leave some organizational risk, but it also presents different types of organizational opportunity and, and perception among probably your primary uh, customer as an owner of a team, which is a superstar NBA player. Um, So uh, to me, it's important uh, to like symbolically, practically um, all of the above to truly organizationally invest in building around Tatum uh, and Brown by all accounts throughout the entirety of their careers here. They've been all about the right things that on and off the court, they're, you know, just tremendously classy young men. Uh, They're about the right things. They, they are um, exactly who you would want to build a franchise around. And they were two wins away from the championship way earlier than most players get uh, than, than most players that get to that point. So breaking that up, um, just for a shot at a superstar in his, you know, mid thirties at this point, who's never quite found his way is uh, always seems a little discontented, frankly, has actively aligned himself with Kyrie Irving, who we know to be like a destructive force in organizations. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Like as a general manager, like that's just sending a terrible signal about what my team is about. Interesting that we both would not do the deal. I mean, you got to think about it, and it depends on what they're they're asking. But I, I'm guessing the price is too high, and and the return you're getting back is isn't good enough because I don't trust that he would stay for the four years. He's also 34; he's getting older, so it's not like he's coming into his prime. So All right, let's get we to talk about other six foot ten plus uh, shooting shooting sweet shooting yeah. four men. <laughs> yeah, maybe the kind that signed with us for the mid level taxpayer mid level exception of six and a half million. Unclear whether it's a year or two, but Danilo Gallinari is on this team. Uh, Mike, he's also got injury history. He's also a guy that can't stay healthy. He's um, also a guy that can't stay in front of anyone on the defensive side of the court. So you, you were talking about how Brad was making moves and staying within kind of this, this identity of the team before we had wind of the, the Brogdon trade, all that was rumored. Like the only rumor that was out there was that the Celtics were in like, and the bulls were leaders in the clubhouse for Gallo. And I did not understand it to save him. I was like, what, how is this the move we're going to make? Um, he, he can't defend. It doesn't add to our playoff rotation, especially like beyond the first round in all likelihood. Um, what are we doing? Uh, literally 10 minutes before the, the Brogdon trade was announced. I was like, I, I tweeted out, very unhappy with the Celtics offseason this so far after we had signed Gallo with our MLE. And then once we got Brogdon, suddenly Gallo made sense to me. I was like, oh, okay. He's just like extra depth for the regular season. We're not rely- relying on him as a key uh, rotation piece for, for the playoffs for the most part. Um, 
and he's just a huge body that shoots it really well reliably so i'm here for it uh i wish we could have gotten more of a two-way guy but i understand it now yeah i think this is a case of you're just not going to get the a two-way player for that six and a half million dollars a year i was hopeful that they might because of their status as a finals team now but it's just hard to do Though I do think Otto Porter's contract, if I saw, I think it ended up being um, around the taxpayer MLE rate, uh, which if that's the case with with the Raptors. Yeah. Uh, Lonnie Walker also signed for that amount. So like those guys are out there, but they're tough to get. Uh, and and here's the thing with Brad. This is what you talked about. He he wants to hit singles. He wants to decide what he's going to do and then do it immediately. He's not going to wait around to see how things fall and try and take advantage of the situation. And I think there is, I think that is a good negotiating move. So the fact that he identifies what the marketplace looks like and who knows what level of tampering he is doing. I'm sure every team is doing it. There should be absolutely none. They Brad, should be. Brad is a man of integrity. So he you? may know that the Lonnie Walkers or the the who did, Otto Porters are are not interested in Boston for whatever reason, and that he makes a calculated decision based on his reading of the marketplace that he's going to uh, go after Gallinari. That he's that's the best gettable guy. So let's go after him. Let's let's do a hard push for him. Let's make him feel wanted. All of that good stuff. Um, it does shift. You know, if you, I think what this means, and we've talked about this a lot offline. He's Gallinari is going to be a player in the regular season, and he's not going to be a huge difference maker in the postseason. He's going to get played off the floor because of his defense, and that's okay for this money. Yeah, exactly. And it's unclear, as I think you said, whether it's a one or two year deal. Um, there's been kind of different reporting on that. Um, one year with a player option for the second year, or just a one year deal. Uh, but either way, it's not it's worth the cost and and we definitely need more people that can chew up more minutes during the regular season because we saw how exhausted the the core rotation was by the end of the year um he's he's surprisingly good in the po- um in the post um he i mean he's a great shooter he's surprisingly good working from the post he's like number th- was number three in field goal percentage last year out of the post um and he's stronger than you'd think he is on defense but he just can't move his feet at all so he's going to play minutes, Mike. I, I think he'll play a lot of sort of power forward or the four position. He's not going to um, guard centers, but he'll be out there with Al Horford and Robert Williams. Um, I think based on the way this this roster is shaping up, because they traded away Tice and because of who else is out there on the big man market, I don't see them playing a lot of double big again this year. They might start al horford and robert williams but i don't think they can play them together a ton they're gonna have to sub one out and bring in grant williams or maybe even start grant williams for al horford of course all of this is if the roster stays the way it is um i don't see rob williams i'm sorry i don't see grant williams as like a true big man he has trouble guarding up and um he tried it that one year he gained some weight and it just was not the right fit for him um and i think he's switchable more so when he uh, is lighter. And... He, yeah, he can guard up against certain types of players. He can, he can't guard up against guys that are bigger than him and agile. 
Like, yeah, a guy like, like Embiid, he, he can't do it oh, all. But God, he's yeah. actually done very well against Jokic. You know, guys that okay. are, are large, um, not too quick. That and, is true. And typically rely on kind of overpowering other guys. Like, granted, you know, he's kind of like P.J. Tucker, right? He's really sturdy. He's very smart. So he he's if, – if you're going to try to beat – if you, you are used to being able to beat people on strength or and, and smarts versus kind of skill and athleticism, um, though obviously Jokic has no shortage of skill, but – uh, Grant is actually generally up to the task. It's yeah, yeah. It, but Mike, yeah. Do, do you see Grant and either Rob or Al as part of a double big lineup? Um, I see them like not not in the conventional sense. No, I mean I see that as like kind of a standard, more of a standard lineup with Grant as kind of more of a standard power forward type. That's how I feel. Yeah. Um, and you you were not a huge fan of the double big lineup last year, right? You we liked size in this lineup, but um, that, that comes from some of the other players, uh, one through three. I did not love the double big lineup. I did not love double bigs with Smart and Schroeder. That was disastrous. Yeah. Okay. Um, I loved the historically great starting five that we had, that included Al and Rob. Uh, start you know starting in late December so it but but I think what you know what sets us apart defensively at the end of the day is when we do have smart you know as our de facto as our point guard and and I, I don't know who he defends but let's just say he's defending the opposing team's point guard but he could defend as you said earlier pretty much anybody on the other team but when we have smart Jalen and Jason as our one two three that's just bigger than any other team pretty much. And then I think you can get a, like, it's very viable to have a lineup rounded out obviously with Rob and Horford, but it could also be uh, Rob and Grant, or it could be Horford and Grant. So I do, you know, if we don't add another big, um, which, and we'll talk about finishing off the roster. Uh, I, I hope they do. Uh, add, add someone that like is kind of rotation viable. I do think it it would make sense to look seriously at starting Grant probably instead of Horford during the regular season to try to conserve Horford um, uh, and and have a little bit more kind of defensive or rotation stability. I don't think we'd do that, but I, I do think it would make sense to to seriously consider it. They need another rotation viable big for the simple reason that Al, at his age, you have to start to expect that he's got to pay, play less minutes or he's going to get injured. You know Rob has his injury history. You have to protect against that. You don't want Luke Cornett playing 30, 20, 30 minutes in, in the regular season. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's it. there's nothing quite... There's nothing that can illustrate why... Tice was valuable on this team, quite like juxtaposing how his, uh, his how his absence creates uh, possibly large opportunity for Luke Cornett. Right? It's like oh, like Tice fills in that nice space between Al Horford and Robert Williams and Luke Cornett. Like that's that's exactly the middle ground that we need at that backup big spot that can be versatile and kind of play across the the four and the five type roles. Um, and that's kind of hard to fill. 
Yeah, I I was hoping that the Celtics would be an option for free agents who were willing to take the veteran minimum to play that role. And uh, I've been refreshing uh, Twitter and hoops hype waiting to, to see the Celtics get one of those guys and they haven't been able to um, specifically Thomas Bryant was rumored to come here and he just signed with the Lakers because they gave him the opportunity to potentially start to fight for a starting role. Robin Lopez is a guy that I've thought has been a perfect fit in that specific role for a couple of years now. And he signed um, with Cleveland. Not sure. I know that he's a huge Disney fan, but uh, does Cleveland have like a, a Disney theme park that I'm unaware of, Mike? Um, no, I, I mean, it, yeah, that is uh, Disney. Uh, Cleveland's an interesting choice for Lopez because they certainly have no shortage of bigs um, on their roster either. But, you know, it they're probably looking to play Evan Mobley more at the four than the five. And so Lopez will probably be the primary backup five. I think the reality is we are going to play a fair bit of lineups that have only one of Rob or Al on the court um, most of the season. And and Grant and Gallo are going to get a lot of time rotating next to those two. Um, And I think that's going to be very viable during the regular season. We can always kind of try to turn it up with our, our kind of starting five, or at least the starting five from the second half of last year to potentially to start games, certainly the end games when we need it. Um, so I imagine we're, we're not selling the most compelling opportunity for, for a lot of kind of, uh, back of the rotation bigs. You would, you would hope that kind of the prospect of playing for a, a championship contender could attract more talent, but maybe, maybe it's not even something we've prioritized so much. Um, is there anyone is there anyone left out there that you would want us to go for? That's the problem. When I look at the list of guys who are out there, after, especially after Thomas Bryant signs, like even guys like DeAndre Jordan, yeah, maybe I could turn. He talk signed. Into he him. signed somewhere. I know. Just Mike Biombo. He signed somewhere. Yeah. Serge Ibaka. He signed somewhere. I could not talk um, myself into Gorgie DeAndre Dang, Jordan like, for the record. Gorgie Dang, I could I have, but DeAndre Jordan, I could not have. I know. So so now you're getting down to guys like Dwight Howard, who's going to turn 37 next season, Ed Davis, Hassan Whiteside. You do not want Hassan Whiteside on this team. Old friend Tristan Thompson, Ugh. DeMarcus Cousins, Thompson Moses Brown, Greg Monroe. Like these guys are not good players. Like Tristan Thompson is the best player no, on that list, no, in my I'm, opinion. He's burned me and forever. I yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I mean, it's like gets me thinking like maybe DeMarcus Cousins could do something on this team <laughs> yeah that that's not a position you want to be in we're sending was, the we're sending the, the mental reason, health like, professionals your way adam to, to <laughs> yeah, good. for your checkup um i mean here's, Keith, here's the Keith, only wait 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 okay. here's the only reason that I, i'm suggesting to marcus cousins you, you talked earlier about the citizenship on this team i feel like this team could use a guy who is like ready to go ready to fight he's got everybody's back like if something happens on the court He's he's the the guy that the other team is afraid of, and I feel like Demarcus Cousins would play that role. But we we don't have anybody like that on our roster. Marcus Smart is the closest thing to it. Having a big guy like that could wouldn't be the worst thing. I mean, first of all, you owe Lo- Luke Cornett an apology. Um, second I think of Luke, all, <laughs> I think Luke knows that he doesn't need it. Um, 
And I, by the way, Luke I, Cornett is a is a strong defensive player. Like he, is, he is good. His pick and roll defense is very very good. He's a very tall, lanky person. He can shoot uh, a little bit. Like I actually the, don't the, hate. He's Luke the Cornette. absolutely poorest man's version of Chet Holmgren. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I I mean, so. I hear what you're saying about DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, I respectfully disagree, but I, I, I hear you. Rightly so. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think to me, I don't think we can a hundred percent rule out. So I feel like we basically have one chip that we could play that we haven't played yet. Um, which is, uh, working a trade using our, our, one of our traded player exceptions. We've got the large one from Evan Fournier um, that expires on July 18th. We have a number of smaller ones that last longer. Um, I think including one up to like five point something, 5.4 million or, or thereabout. We have the 17 million. We have a, the 6.9 Wancho Hernan Gona's one. Okay. We have the 6.9 um, million. And one. then we have a couple okay. smaller ones. Yeah. In, so including, including the 5.8 Dennis Schroeder one. Yeah. That's okay. probably what you were thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we have a, we have a couple like I don't. You mentioned earlier that the team has gone into the tax. I think there's no way we're gonna go. You know, we're we're like 19.8 into the tax or something right now. There's no way we're gonna use 17 million of the TPE to go. Yeah. Yeah. If you're pining for that, fans, if you're if you're waiting for that, it's not gonna happen. This this ownership yeah. group is already paying enough. We could pursue someone in like that 6.9 million range or 5.9 million range, um, and and depending on how good they are, we might have to send out Peyton Pritchard, who I think becomes, you know, he was already potentially expendable as, as a trade piece to get a actually decent player. Um, he might, he would potentially have to move, uh, you know, it is, especially after Brogdon, he's, he's more movable now than he was even before. But I think, I bet we would prefer to keep him. You know, he is good insurance. Uh, if Brogdon does get injured, he's a, probably still one of our better shooters. So he's a nice kind of change of pace type of guard, right? Like we used to always bring in uh, under Stevens, like a Shane Larkin or, or or that type of guy off the off the bench. Peyton Pritchard is a better version of that. So um, there aren't. Do you have any players in mind? For yeah. That so there are there are a few. Um, and Keith Smith had a great article on Celtics blog about kind of the 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 dwindling set of big men. Uh, I'll just name a few from his list that, that I um, personally find interesting and had come across as well. Uh, Goga Batadze from the Pacers. I doubt we will do it. Uh, I imagine that may have even been explored when we were talking about Brogdon and we didn't find a way to bundle him in. Um, but I like him as kind of a big, he's like seven foot, you know, Georgian center. He can shoot a bit. Um, and you know, he can, he, you can toss him out there, especially against the bigger centers in the league. Uh, Zach Collins, not, not that Georgia, um, (laughs) Zach Collins, uh, the, the Spurs just got Isaiah Roby off the waiver wire. They signed Gorgie Dang. Uh, a lot of people have kind of concluded that maybe makes Jakob Podol available, but I, I'm more curious about Zach Collins. He's got a lower contract he's got a higher injury risk which means we'd have to give up less i think um he's not so much a five he's more of a four 
but I think he could be another guy that we could kind of slot into the, those rotation minutes to help defray some of the burden. Um, and then the last one that's of interest to me uh, would be Derek Favors, who's with the Thunder. They are still not trying to win yet. They just signed, you know, uh, or they just drafted um, Holmgren. They, I'm sure, still want to maximize their chances for Wembanyama uh, in the in the next draft, um, and he he would be perfect in a relatively low minute, you know, off the bench, versatile, uh, big role. So those are the three guys that I see as like vi- None of them make a ton of money, um, so it it wouldn't be looking for ownership to absorb a, a tremendously higher tax bill. Um, and I think they actually kind of fit with with what we need or, or want to do. Favors makes ten million. Okay, yeah, I thought he made. I mean, just that ten million. If you're absorbing all of that, that I, I think that's too much for it. Might be. To pay it for, might be. It might be for that level of player. Yeah, I, I and also that's, like that's where favors. we might He's have the to kind move of guy I'd want for pa- sure. Pritchards. That that you know because that's like three or so million dollars off, and that's a lot to give up. Um, it is so. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't do it, but that's that's a type of player I would want. Yeah, agreed. My expectation is that this this team gets somebody uh, through a trade midway through the year, or we see which players get bought out, and and the Celtics would hopefully be players uh, for the, for those guys because they're one of the better teams in the league, and they've proved that up until that point. What what else do you think that the, the Celtics need to to finish out this roster, Mike? Um, I mean, honestly, not a whole heck of a lot uh, more wing depth would be nice, like two way type of wing, like an athletic wing, um, in the event of, you know, we're, we're in trouble if either Tatum or Brown, uh, get hurt for a long period of time, regardless, um, with, you know, with white, with Brogdon, both of those guys can kind of slot up, uh, a position or two it, it, if we need for, for a short period of time, but our, our rotation of kind of viable wings and perimeter defenders, uh, especially for like, you know, bigger wing players gets thin kind of quick. Um, so I'd like one more body that we feel really comfortable throwing at that. We might have one on our summer league roster that we could, we could talk about, but um, I wouldn't mind another veteran that could, that could play in that capacity uh, beyond that. in a big, honestly, nothing. I'm good with the roster. What about you? I completely agree. I think if we could get some two-way wing that that um, could take minutes away from, from Tatum and Brown, I, I think at this point you're talking about how do you reduce Tatum and Brown's minutes and how do you reduce Horford and uh, Rob Williams' minutes? Right. Yeah, and really I'm fine with a one-way wing. Like I think we got enough additional options. We have that. Fire, firepower. We a have one, that Mike Sam Hauser is no that one a one way the way. other one way <laughs> the other one way <laughs> I was about to say we added enough offensive firepower I just would like another guy that can you know do the grunt work on defense against some of those bigger wings you know Grant yeah, Grant Williams can do that... some of it um, yeah. or Mar- and Marcus Martin Derek White can do some of it but they're still kind of like guys like I mean and- Andrew Wiggins kind of comes to mind as far as a size profile that isn't a great like that's a tough matchup for both a Derek White and a Grant Williams and right now it's really only our two all-star or all-star level wings that we can put on a guy like that and it would be nice to have another option 
I was going to say those guys are not that hard to find, but they tend to be smaller. They tend to be like 6'4", like the Gary Payton type. You can mm-hmm. find those guys coming that's, out of the yeah, that would, I mean, if we had somehow signed Gary Payton, uh, I would have been very happy. Um, but, so let, let's talk about Summer League, because I, I alluded we do have one guy on our Summer League roster. Do you know who I'm referring to? And can you pronounce his name? <laughs> one guy like that? One guy like that. It's Juhan Begarin. It's Begarin. Begarin. I, I have no idea how to pronounce his name. I just like saying things with a bad French accent, which I yeah. used to embarrass my girlfriend when we went to France recently. It's wonderful. <laughs> he, so he uh, he played he played in in a higher league this year, and I think he's on the team that Wembenyama is going to go to uh, this this coming season. And he did not play all that great. Like I, it does not sound like he is ready to come to the Celtics and, and, and certainly not ready to make an impact. And I think one of the reasons they drafted him along with Yamadar is that both of them were willing to stay overseas for a couple of years. Yeah. But I mean, I do think he has kind of, he's got real defensive potential um, yes. and he might not be that far away on the defensive side of the ball from being able to be useful in an NBA setting, at least, you know, very sporadically and on, on, on kind of, very selective spot duty. He minutes, he he's young. I believe he's still 19. Um, so it's not, there, there's no real expectation. He'll be a substantive contributor in any way this season. And as you noted, he didn't perform particularly well in, in whatever league he was in, in France last year. Um, but he does have the profile, like the, the athletic profile um, and, and some good feel for the game as a passer uh, based on, some of the reports, uh, Jay King had a nice article uh, highlighting a few individuals to watch in the athletic uh, in the upcoming summer league. And, and he was one of them. Um, and it, it sounds like he's showing some nice kind of passing and passing vision uh, in the early, early scrimmages as a team preps for summer league. So I, I'm intrigued by him. Um, is there anybody else you're, I mean, do you even care about our summer league team this year? I always care about Summer League, Mike, because there is no other basketball right now. And you can glimpse some players playing well, especially rookies, the guys coming in. I feel like you can get a sense of, like, are they actually good or not based on the Summer League? Um, I want to see Sam Hauser play really well. Uh, I really think that if this is his second year, he should uh, make an impact and he should be the best player on the team. He should get all the shots he wants. Uh, and I am bullish about him actually playing a role next year coming off the bench. He can really shoot the ball. Like fans who are talking about going after, uh, what's his name for, on Miami, the shooter. Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson. Like I, I think Sam Hauser is close to becoming what Duncan Robinson was this past season when he was yeah, not I shooting mean... quite as well. I mean, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to see how I I think. I mean, Sam Hauser shooting at every level he's played at has been unbelievable. Right. He was a phenomenal shooter in college. He was a phenomenal shooter in the G League last year. And then even in limited opportunities um, in the NBA, he was still shooting above 40 percent from three. Like the dude just puts the ball in the bucket. Um so that is good. <laughs> like, that's a great sign. But a key difference to me in a guy like Duncan Robinson versus what I've seen from Hauser, Hauser moves and he can shoot off the move, but he's not 
let's say, quick. <laughs> he doesn't move very fast. Um, and so I don't think he draws... He, I don't, I don't, his movement doesn't pull or scare the defense in the same way, you know, a guy like Duncan Robinson did during, when, during uh, the 2020 season in the bubble, for example, when he was like really playing um, as an like integral part of the heat offense uh, with a lot of movement and, and a lot of movement with pace, uh, certainly not in the way that like a guy like Steph Curry or like Reggie Miller back in the day or Rip Hamill, you know, those guys move JJ Redick, like the, the, the combination of their shooting skill and their movement is what maximizes their gravity and the way it kind of contorts a defense. Uh, Kyle Korver, what I, what I'm excited about with Hauser is I think if you really commit to conditioning and his body over, you know, the next maybe two to three seasons, he could become much more dynamic in terms of his movement in addition to his threat as a shooter. And that would make him really, really valuable and probably better and more effective on the defensive end of the floor as well. But I'm, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic about how much he can contribute this year. Um, but I, but I certainly am excited by the fact that the team is excited enough about him to invest in him in three, for three years. And I'm likewise very intrigued about how he looks at summer league this year. I'm interested to see J.D. Davison. I just think it'll be fun because he's ex- super explosive, but I don't expect him to show enough to um, to make a difference on on the big club this year. Uh, Mifondu Kabengele, he's a guy that, like, who was the guy we had on, on last year that made the team? Mm, out of I'm going to need more than that. <laughs> I, the big man um, that we traded away, I can't remember. But it's that kind of a thing. Bruno Fernando? Yeah, Bruno Fernando. It's like similar kind of a thing. He's a couple years out. He's got a good body. Like, like if he can put it together, he might have something, but he's probably not going to. It's it's that kind of situation. So that guy's going to get some minutes on the summer league, and people might be impressed with him. And then other than that, I mean, we talked about Travion Williams last uh, podcast, and I like a lot of things about him, but he also has a ways to go. Before. I am wildly ready to overreact to every summer league clip oh, about great. him. He's 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 my favorite, and I'm going to choose to believe he's the next Jokic uh, <laughs> until proven otherwise, which will be very soon. But I'm going to commit to that that argument uh, because all, all I know is that they're both slow. F- came into the league as slow-footed, uh, elite passing big men that were a little doughy and couldn't play a lick of defense. Uh, so we basically have the next two time MVP on our summer league roster. Let's get excited. <laughs> no flaws in that. argument. Uh, I mean, maybe Broderick <laughs> Thomas could be that two way guy. I don't know. I don't know. There's nobody else on this team. I'm that yeah. interested in, uh, but these games come up July 9th, 11th, 12th and 14th. Uh, they're on NBA TV, Mike, but, uh, let me know if there's a way to watch them. Otherwise I'll, I'll, I'll do what I can. Oh, there's a Boston golden state game, Mike, a rematch final, final rematch. The finals, Boston That's right. golden state on, right. on Tuesday, the 12th, break out the popcorn, <laughs> on ESPN. break out the popcorn, everyone. This is, you know, <laughs> I bet Steph and Tatum are going to be courtside <laughs> mic'd up. Um, yeah, that's. No, summer league is always a great time. Uh, and Adam, one big prediction: Do you think the Celtics make 
any more roster moves this offseason. Yes. At least one. At least one. They got to fill out this roster. I think there's a trade or something that's going to happen that is surprising. Like Brockton, Brockton came out of nowhere. I would not even have guessed that that was an option. So I think something else will happen. It probably won't be that big, but I think they'll add a little bit to this team that will make us feel a little more comfortable about getting guys some rest. Um, whatever they do, they're going to fill out the roster with with guys that are comfortable in their role, and I think that's awesome. Like Brad will continue to do what he's been doing. How Anything else you, from you, Mike? How would you rate Brad's offseason so far? A. Ditto. I think I'll give it an A. Nothing from me. Uh, well, excited for Summer League. And now I already can't wait for the, the next season to start. And we've got like months to go. <laughs> months to go. Keep listening, everyone. Thanks for doing so. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod. We're individually at Mike Minkoff NBA or at Coach Motenko for Josh. I'm not on Twitter. If you're listening now, consider yourself a part of Celtics Pride on Celtics Blog.